work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I read a series of essays called Starting Over. Twelve writers shared their reflections on life in a post-pandemic world. The one that stayed with me is entitled, I Will Never Bail on My Friends Again, by Maeve Higgins. Here's what she says. I finished television during the pandemic and started on movies. Now I'm almost finished with those too. My hips have locked in a supine position and my eyes are as dry as a bone, but I persist. What else is there to do? Aside from a snatched walk here and there or a chilly drink on a Brooklyn sidewalk, I haven't had any new experiences with my friends for many, many months now. Instead, I've been turning over memories of old experiences with them, like treasures found at the bottom of the ocean. Like everyone in New York, my friends and I are scattered physically and mentally. I swear from this day forth, I will never let their messages pile up, and I will always answer the calls. I'll be there when they're dull and downhearted and have nothing much to say because I'm like that now and they still love me. By this time next year, it will be safe to see one another again. I'm going to hug my friends and pinch their cheeks and lean on them like a heavily, like a heavy, one of those heavy big dogs that rescues people from the snow. I'm not generally a party person, but next year I will make everybody celebrate my birthday. In fact, I will make everybody celebrate everything. You got a root canal and you were able to pay for it? You got an extra long receipt from CVS? Meet me at the Wooden Horse Carousel in Brooklyn Ridge Bridge, baby. I'm sick of us being lone bullfrogs on solitary lily pads. It is so much better when we are a big croaking chorus carousing around the city. I understand a little bit better now why it's called making friends. It's an effort and a choice and it's something that is never really finished. But really, there is no silver lining or hidden message in this for me. I just really miss my friends. We hear you, Maeve. We are all croaking from our safe distance lily pads, aching to make connections, eager to join the chorus, bake some bread and break some bread, party and celebrate every small wonder that comes our way. We are eager to know the world and feel alive in it.
When we went back into lockdown on December 3rd, it felt to me like we fell into a collective funk. Holiday celebrations were dashed instead of wintering season cuddled up under warm covers. We were tossed a wet blanket. It had to be done. It was the right and the safe thing to do. But just as we got a glimpse of coming out from under, we needed to retreat. And that felt hard. After a few sullen days, I tossed off my wet blanket and started to take walks, stopping often to look at the trees, many of them bare, the branches thin and fragile. When deciduous trees lose their leaves, it's called abscission. To our eyes, the tree looks like a skeleton, barely alive. But as writer Catherine May says, the tree is waiting. It has everything ready. Its fallen leaves are mulching the forest floor and its roots are drawing up the extra winter moisture, providing a firm anchor against the seasonal storms. Its ripe cones and nuts are providing essential food in scarce times for animals. Its bark is hosting habitat hibernating insects and providing a source of nourishment for hungry deer. It is far from dead. It is, in fact, the life and soul of the wood. It's just getting on with it quietly. It will not burst into life in the spring. It will just put on a new coat and face the world again. Taking in the trees, noticing the soft, furry coats of the buds forming on the branches, I began to feel something stir inside. I only know to describe it as a deep desire to feel alive. But it felt counter to what was being asked of us in the moment, to stay put, to cover up and keep our distance. These days... Staying alive is serious business, remains serious business, and we are far from out of the woods. But this doesn't mean we can't find ways, make ways that help us feel alive. We each can fashion a new coat, step out and engage the world and let the world get to know us. In late December, I reconnected with an old high school friend. She sent me the poetry book, The Exact Weight of the Soul. The poet, John Calderazzo, had been a creative writing teacher of hers in college. I began reading one of his poems each day, learning through them that he had suffered the ravages of alcoholism and likely depression. But it was through his writing and his deep love of nature that saved him. But I'll let his words tell the story. This is from a poem called Mount St. Helen. 
If I'd only known the basement philosophy of volcano, volcanoes, that sooner or later everything comes unstuck and moves in a deep time stew, convecting beyond my life and your life, beyond evacuation and life of country or culture, except for the culture of constant change and renewal, maybe that volcano dust began to work on me. He ends the poem this way. Packed down in shields of devastation, loosed and finally opened to the sun as I have since then, having learned to slow down and travel far, having learned to sit in the new light of the smoke mountains and others, Mount Pele, Soufriere Hills, Redoubt, Vesuvius, Etna, which let me watch and feel how time's snapped bones re-knit, how so many kinds of gray can turn green. In times of momentous devastation and disruption, it's hard to believe that life will return, that out of smoke and ash, out of rivers of gray, there will be green. Over these long months moving through spring, summer, fall, and winter, we've struggled to find ways to come alive, especially in the midst of so much death and destruction. We worry about our families, our neighbors, our friends, our communities. How do we muster the strength to fashion ourselves a new coat and face the world again? I believe the answer is to envision ourselves as artists and craft makers, shaping our lives, deepening our sense of knowing as Vanessa spoke about last week and as in this morning's reading reminded us. Out of knowing and making, deeply rooted in connection, we find the holy, those places where we find meaning, understanding, hope, those places, those people, those poems that help us touch down and connect with the tender spot that lives inside each of us. I wish that the suffering and destruction brought on by a mad tyrant and the destruction of a pandemic was just a bad dream. But out of it, I believe that we are each aching to be alive, to feel alive and bring something new into the world. Makoto Fujimura, artist, painter, writer, and I would say theologian believes that to be alive means to be a maker. In his new book, Art and Faith, The Theology of Making, we encounter a personal story about meaning and making. Fujimura is a Christian, and his art is rooted in both ancient painting traditions of Japan and his Christian faith. And while our theologies differ in certain ways, Fujimura's, sto Fujimura's story has something to offer us. 
for him, the biblical story, particularly in the Gospels, is not a story of endings, but new beginnings. He writes, the true and lasting understanding of the gospel is not whether we can recite our creeds or even are able to convey the information of the gospel to others. The ultimate understanding of the gospel is what we make and what we love with what we know or that deepest realm of knowledge that is garnered through our making. This is the deepest cultivation of the soil of our minds and culture. Now, I believe that Unitarian Universalists share a similar belief, that meaning is not found in reciting creeds, but in what we make individually and collectively. We are justice makers, peace makers, makers of beloved community. We can't just be about making for purposes of usefulness, but to deepen our understanding of knowing the world. Fujimura writes, being alive is rooted in how we get to know the world around us and then make something of it. A friend recently told me a story about his creation of something he calls parallel play. My friend is a body worker who, due to COVID restrictions, is unable to make a living right now. With his life upended, he went about making a way to keep connected to, and, to be connected and feel creative. He meets virtually with a friend they have a brief check-in and then spend 30 minutes making something. The sound is off. Each is in their own makerspace. One quilts. The other plays the clarinet. One writes. The other strums a ukulele. After 30 minutes, they come back together and share a bit about what happened in their creative encounter. The time is not about fixing something, but making something. It is an intimate encounter. The aim is to connect with what's alive in which as the aim is to commit, the, <laughs> the aim is to connect with what's alive in you as you make. I love this story. Shortly after I had a conversation with our own Shannon Warto, where I began to imagine what types of parallel play we might make here. And so with permission, I share her story. During this time of COVID, my typically jammed packed calendar suddenly became empty. No more performances, no more gatherings with friends or family in person a time of deep reflection. In the slowing down, I explored the realm only accessible to me, the realm of my spirit. And so I got to know my soul better. I had a heartbreakingly honest and beautiful recollection with my body, and I tapped into exquisite intuition. I joined a program by Justin Michaels Williams called liberation experience, diving into the powerful and important work for racial equity and justice. 
and the internal changes I need to implement to practice allyship for the black indigenous people of color community and recognizing that this is lifelong work. I became part of a revolutionary leadership community called Badass Engagement, which cuts to the truth of our own unique individual gifts that we bring to the world, empowering us to be the leaders of our own lives, which ripples out to all areas within it, our businesses, relationships, passions, communities, and purpose. I've implemented a daily meditation practice that allows me to connect with the mystery of the universe and takes me higher every day. I've written songs and books and have enhanced my fledgling guitar skills. I've witnessed grave traumatic events and felt them to my core, opening up spaces to express my full emotional range. I feel more alive than ever before and aim to make meaning of the trauma I experience so that I might move through it and grow and acknowledge that I have not experienced the same degree of oppression as other beloved members of my global community. I'm so moved by Shannon's story, the depth of the discovery and the aliveness that she's found in being part of the liberation experience. Out of the ash, new life breaks through. I often liken church to being a makerspace so-called makerspaces focus on design and are dedicated to hands-on creativity. Yes, I would say that we are committed and energized in the hands-on work of making, but the kind of making we seek to do goes a bit deeper, maybe something more akin to a badass engagement. There is a Hebrew word, bara which could translate to mean the quality of our making, what we bring to it, not just our hands, but our hearts too. The making isn't about technical expertise. It's not just about fixing things. Our makerspace seeks to bring people into an encounter where something opens up, something comes alive. Our aim is not to multitask, says Fujimura, but to multi-love, to be co-creators in loving the world. So much of our making is about seeing and noticing, sinking into the holy ground of our being and attending to what breaks open and what breaks in. Bahra theology is about the encounter of making which demands intimacy and vulnerability as well as intellect and wisdom. When we make justice, make democracy, make community, make music, take our mother's beloved recipe and make her famous cranberry cobbler, when we make time to be with our friends, 
we bring Bara into the mix. Bara theology is a way of seeing the world rooted in encounters that are reparative, regenerative, and alive. Theologies are like ecosystems. Some die, some thrive. A thriving, multi-loving maker theology and a sustainable ecosystem need to be fed and nurtured, given time to grow and root itself. We need to understand and respect that life has a cyclical nature from birth, growth and death, and then rebirth. Each day we are given the gift to come alive and make it anew. We are slowly making our way out of our wintering season. Small signs are all around us. Our life, says Colin McGinn, has a value insofar as it gives value to something other than ourselves. It's nearing time when we can begin to imagine jumping free from our locked down lily pads, waking up to what's alive and see what the world wants to know of us. Oh, my dear ones, let's make something of it. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.